It's okay for you to believe what you believe. I think the danger is when we start owning our truth and our expression, and we want other people to agree with our truth and our expression, and we want other people to validate our truth and our expression, and then they don't, and that's where the real conflict comes in. But if you can accept that people may or may not agree with your truth, and that you can still coexist, then offending people is not going to really be that much of an issue for you. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. I'm excited for this one. Today on the podcast, we have Rachel Luna. Rachel is a certified master coach, international speaker, and Forbes recently named her top 11 inspiring female entrepreneurs to follow on Instagram. I have been following Rachel for about a year now, and I love the work that she is putting into the world. Today, we're going to have an important conversation. We're going to talk about judgment and the way that it impacts us, why offending people is not always bad, and education versus cancellation. I would love it, Rachel, if you first took a minute to introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you so much for having me, lady. What an honor and a pleasure. I always feel it's such a loaded question when people tell me to introduce myself because it's like, man, we don't have that kind of time. But (laughs) the cliff notes is I'm really, really passionate about helping people give themselves permission to offend. And I'm sure we'll go deeper into what that really means. It's not about attacking or shaming or guilting or, or, you know, intentionally ruffling feathers, but rather it's about standing and owning your truth and recognizing that the fact that you desire the things you desire is offensive to someone in this world. And you just have to have the courage to keep wanting it. So that is like about me in a nutshell. It's so good already right there, like right there. And you have an entire podcast called Permission to Offend. And on your podcast, you said, resist the need to be accepted by everyone. So Rachel, let's go into that in more detail. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, the desire to be accepted is actually a survival mechanism, right? Because if you look at our primitive nature, going way back to when we first began, how did we survive? We survived in community, in little packs and little tribes. And so if you were separated from the pack, then the chances of your survival were slimmer. Now, the brain understands this. And the brain's sole function is to keep us alive. So one part I think I will mention is that I have a a master's certification in neuroscience coaching. So I'm really fascinated by what's happening in the brain. Why are we the way that we are? And so... When we are not accepted, the brain gets enraged and it starts to think, oh my gosh, we're going to die. We're disconnected. We can't survive. And in part, that is true because what happens to a baby if when it's first born, you take it away from everyone and everything and you just put it on the street? What happens? It's not going to survive. 
right? It's going to die. So there is an inherent need for connection for survival. My challenge to us is, are we looking for the most nurturing connection or are we so desperate to be connected? Are we so fearful of our demise that we're willing to be in community and in connection with people that are actually holding us back from fulfilling our purpose? I just love what you said there. So over time, have you felt like your friendship groups, the people that you're in community with as far as entrepreneurship, has that changed for you? Yes, they change. They're always changing. They're always evolving. And let's be clear. I think that sometimes we think that in order to have connection and community with someone, we have to be in their space 24-7 or they have to be part of our inner circle. And that's not the case, in particular with entrepreneurship. So, for example, there is a group that I remember when I first started my business, I was part of this one Facebook group. And I was like addicted to this one Facebook group. Now, this is like almost, man, it was already 10 years ago. Oh my God, I'm dating myself. (laughs) Okay, first of all, Facebook groups were very new 10 years ago. So it was more of a thing than maybe it is today. But I was in this Facebook group 24-7 all the time. And I remember um, one of the girls that was part of the group, she said, oh my gosh, do you ever sleep, Rachel, because you're always here? And at the time I lived in Japan. And so I was so desperate to be in this community that I'd wake up at all crazy hours when I knew like the East Coast people were going to be awake. Over the years, I I don't even know if I'm still part of that group, but I, I still have maintained friendships and relationships and acquaintanceships with many of the women in that group. Are they part of my inner circle today? No. Do I talk to them every single day the way I did 10 years ago? No. Does that mean that we are no longer connected? No. It just means that the dynamics of our relationship have shifted as we've each gone on to our next level. And I think that if we start respecting the fact that not everyone needs to come with us every single place we are going to go, we're going to feel a lot more at peace about opening up to new possibilities and new people and new circles. Yeah, I love what you said. It's not so black and white that we're doing like a friendship dump. It's like sometimes you're growing and you're evolving and a friendship might be closer in one season and maybe not so close in another. I want to talk about something that I saw on your Instagram. You said, judgment is inevitable. When we learn to see their judgment as a reflection of their path, we're able to rise above and find a way to unite. So it seems like women struggle with the fear of others judging them. I know I have. Whether that makes them worried to speak because they're they're worried that they'll say something wrong or it stops them from doing something that they're dreaming of doing. Can you talk about how judgment is inevitable because all of us do it? Yes, okay, so first of all, let me explain to you what's happening in your brain when judgments are happening. Forgive yourself immediately if not sooner and forgive others for judging you doubly immediately because they can't help it. Judgments actually happen automatically. And there was a study that showed that judgments happen about people even before they're close enough for you to recognize who they are. 
Isn't that crazy? So your brain is always scanning around. What did I say at the very beginning? The brain is conditioned for survival. Its sole job is to figure out, are we in danger or are we safe? So when we go into a certain situation, it's scanning the room. And as soon as it sees another person from a distance, it's it's making a judgment. Is this person safe or is this person going to threaten me and possibly kill me? So if you can remember that that's what's happening, can you then extend a little grace that someone might be judging you and they could not even help it because your action or inaction is triggering a fear in them? Maybe it's even a subconscious fear. Have you ever been scrolling through social media and you don't even realize when it happens, but all of a sudden you feel like this icky feeling? Have either one of you ever, ever experienced that? Oh, yeah. Right? Right. Okay, why does this happen? It's because as you were scrolling, your subconscious saw something that was triggering. And so now the subconscious is working like, oh my gosh, this just happened. We're triggered. We're upset. You know, they're better than me. I'm not good enough. Whatever your stories are deep down. And the only way you get to access why you feel icky is by retracing your steps. And I always like to ask this question, when was the last time I didn't feel this way? So I'm really big into journaling. I think that everyone should have a journal practice. So I might go into my journal and say, when was the last time I didn't feel this ickiness? And then you can trace back, oh, I was scrolling. Okay, well, what was I scrolling? What was I looking at? Oh, I saw this picture of this mom and they did their family portraits and their outfits were all matching. And like, I can't get my kids to wear the outfit that I laid out for them. So now I feel like I'm a bad mom. Or I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. Do y'all have babies? Yeah, we each have three kids. Oh my God, God bless three. (laughs) Enough. Okay, so I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when it comes to the whole baby situation, there's a lot of comparison and there's a lot of judgment about like who we're called to be as moms. Do you feel that way? A thousand percent. I was going to tell you, like, when you're talking about this, I feel like, and I've shared this before, my judgment of other moms was the worst when I was a new mom. And I felt like I was just so insecure about like what was going on just within me. I didn't realize this. This is self-reflection. This isn't like I was so woke in the moment, but I judged other moms harsher and I think it was my own like insecurity about I wanted to do everything perfectly and I was trying to present a very like together image of myself and now that I've had three kids and it's been five years I'm like whatever anyone wants to do I'm not going to judge them because I understand motherhood in a different way than I did back then. And I love that you said that you were judging because it was your judgments were a projection of your insecurities. And we have to remind ourselves that. So, for example, first of all, I suffered from undiagnosed postpartum depression with both of my children. Mm. And I'm a high functioning everything. So I had depression growing up as a child and I was high functioning. Most people didn't even know I was depressed, but when I would go home, I'd like just lose it and just cry for hours and hours and just feel like the world was on top of me. So I had my first daughter and I didn't bond with her right away. I remember 
everyone's saying, when you have your first child, you're going to feel this love that you never felt before. And it's just like this most beautiful thing. So I was waiting for that to happen. And I, in Germany, I swear I gave birth to my, my two daughters in Germany, when you have your baby, they tell you reach down. So you literally deliver your own baby. And so I reached down and I grabbed this, the first kid and I looked at her and she didn't look anything like me. So immediately I felt like I just gave birth to a baby, an, an alien, an alien baby. Like this thing doesn't even look like me. And there was a lot of frustration because everyone was wanting me to be and feel things that I could not feel. And I felt that there was something wrong with me. So then I had my second baby 23 months later. And I thought for sure, for sure, this is it. I'm going to feel the feelings. It's going to be like the most beautiful thing, you know, because I was robbed the first time, but no, this is it. And I had the next baby and the delivery was perfect. And I thought for sure this was my moment. And they put her on my, I put her on my chest. I look at her and I think, eh, you're not that cute either. <laughs> What's happened? Like, am I destined to have ugly baby? My daughters are beautiful. Right. But I just want to share, like, that's actually what came through. Like, oh, again, I don't feel anything. I don't feel the things I'm supposed to feel towards these kids. And I feel like a failure. I feel like I've been robbed and I'm angry and I resent everything about motherhood. My young, my oldest daughter, excuse me, she ended up being in the NICU. And there was a moment where I had an awareness of, I looked down at her and I said, I will always protect you. I will always be there for you. It will always be us against the world. And I meant that, but more in a sense of this kid doesn't have anybody but me. So whether I'm madly, deeply, truly in love with her or not, I will do everything I can to protect her. Wow, Rachel, there was so much good truth in that answer. Like every part of it for so many walks of life, everything from the postpartum depression that was undiagnosed and not bonding with baby right away, not bonding with toddlers, with children. I know so many women in our community think the exact same thing that you just said, the what's wrong with me. The mm. world is telling me one thing that I should be, that I should feel, but I'm not. I, I'm not that. I'm not feeling that way. So I know you spoke to so many women right there. Well, can I just say something about that too? I'm yeah. sorry. I no, please do. I said this as well. One of the things that I had to do was I had to forgive myself for not being the mother I thought I would be. Because growing up, I thought I was going to be the Betty Crocker mom. I love baking and I actually do enjoy arts and crafts. So I thought that I was going to be that mom. And when it turned out that I wasn't her, it was devastating. And so I, I want to encourage the, the mom listening right now. If you are not the kind of mom that you thought you were going to be, just forgive yourself. It's okay. You're a different kind of mom. You're the kind of mom that your kid needs. And if you think maybe like, yeah, but I don't really believe that to be true, then, you know, grab your journal and just ask like, what kind of mother does my child need me to be? Who am I willing to be as a mother? And how can I make these two wants and needs merge? Okay. That was all I wanted to say. 
Our first break is brought to you by BetterHelp. You guys know we've been talking about it for over a year now. Abby and I both love therapy. We love the way that it is this conversation that you can have with a trained professional who has helped so many people through whatever you are going through. So you fill out the form, you say what you need help with, and then there's someone that knows that, like that's their expertise, and they can help you get through whatever you are going through. So Abby and I both use this service and love it. And you can join us if you go to betterhelp.com back slash herself. That's where you can get 10% off your first month and join Abby, me, and the million other people that are using this service. So when you think about writing your book and working so hard on your book right now, do you feel like there's any fear of judgment that still comes up? And if there is, what are some ways you can start coaching yourself through it? Just accept that fear is okay. Remember, Mm -hmm. I think one of the greatest gifts I've ever given myself is understanding the brain. And I understand that fear is just a response to the unknown. I don't know how people are going to respond to my book. I hope every single person under the sun on the planet loves it. But the reality is that there's always one, right? There's always one person that's contrarian. There's always one person that it doesn't register for. So for me, what I like to do is I like to just ask myself, is this true? And will it kill me? The judgments of other people, um, their opinions about my book will not take me out. It's just their opinion. And opinions are like buttholes. We all got one. (laughs) You know, like, obviously, I'm working with a full team. I'm not putting this out there on my own. One of the sections in the book, I mean, I almost wish we were having this conversation next year so that people could go buy the book (laughs) and reference the parts that I'm talking about. But just remember that I said it's coming out next year. But there's one section I talk about verification versus validation. And we're also hungry for validation because with validation, we're looking to be told that we are right. But with verification, we're just looking to see if our own metrics are on target or if there's an opportunity for growth. So when it comes to my book, I just remind myself, I don't want validation. I don't need validation. My verification points come from my beta readers, from my editor, Are we hitting the widgets for the ideal person? And that's the other thing. It's like, whoo, sorry, let me take a breath because I feel like there's so much to unpack in this, (laughs) right? Like when we're coaching ourselves, I think that people want a shortcut answer. And it's like, give me one thing I can say, but coaching yourself is a constant process. This is why I keep going back to it and I will forevermore. This is why I go back to journaling. Because when you have a solid journal practice, you are daily self-coaching and you're asking yourself the question so that you can gain the clarity. So if I'm, if I'm writing my book and I feel fear, I stop and I just say, okay, what am I afraid of? Whose judgment am I afraid of? The whole premise of the book is that there are three major fears. We have a majillion fears. I don't know that majillion is a number, but we got a lot of them, right? But the three big fears is judgment, rejection, and defamation. 
Are they going to judge us? What are they going to do? Are they going to reject us? Are they going to cut us out of the thing? And then are they going to defame us? Who are they going to tell and what are they going to say? Right? So if I'm writing and I feel the fears like, okay, what judgment am I afraid of? Whose judgment am I afraid of? Is it my own judgment? Is it people that are not even the audience that I'm supposed to be serving right now? That's the other thing. Like consider the audience. Whose judgment do you fear? And and is that your audience? And then, you know, what are they going to say? Am I afraid that I'm going to be rejected? Am I afraid I'm going to be disconnected from the pack? And continue to get curious about your truth. Don't just settle for the first answer either, especially if the first answer is, I don't know. If it's, I don't know, then go in and say, but what if I did know? Where in me could I find an answer? Okay, I don't know. What if my best friend was asking me the same question? What would I say to her? And I love that question. If my best friend had the exact same problem that I have right now, if my best friend had the exact same fear that I have right now, what would I be saying to her? And then turn it back on yourself because you should be your own best friend first and foremost. You should have so much love and appreciation for who you are, for how you show up in the world, that you care about your feelings, you care about yourself. Like, I feel like I just want to mention this other part too, because I remember there was a season in my life where people would talk about like self-love and I'd roll my eyes really hard because I didn't understand what it meant. Like, duh, self-love. Of course I love myself. You cliche, woo-woo, whatever people. I remember there was so much judgment, but that judgment is also a reflection of fear. I was so afraid that what if I didn't really love myself? What if the subconscious stories that I had that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worthy, that everyone I love leaves me, what if that was actually true? And so this is why I encourage you to just go back into your truth, figure out what you believe, what you've been taught to believe, and ask yourself, is this still true for me today? That's how I handle it. It's how I handle a lot of it. Yeah. And in there, you were kind of getting at something I wanted to cover, which is to be your own hype woman. I think this is really hard for those of us that were socialized as women because it's often seen as bragging and bragging gets a really negative connotation when it comes to women. I've always been raised to be a pretty confident person. I think my parents did a great job of affirming and just believing in me. But sometimes I hear that, I get teased for that. They say, oh, Amy, Amy's never had a problem with confidence. And I'm like, why is that? Like, why is that the thing you say? It's like, I don't think that that, I think that's a really good thing. For the women that aren't there, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about why it's so important to be your own hype woman. You know, it's interesting. I was reading something the other day. So this is for sure not a Rachel Luna original. I was reading something the other day that people that say they struggle with confidence have actually experienced confidence. And this is why they can recognize its absence. 
when I saw that, I thought, oh, this is so good. Because if that's true, if I can say I need more confidence, that means I had to have at one point understood what it felt like to be confident. And so now the question I get to ask myself today is, what do I need to feel, see, hear, experience, or do to get that feeling of confidence? And then there you go. Then it comes in, right? The problem that most people have is that they're not taking the time to ask themselves the questions. They're looking for answers, but they don't want to hear. And not only that, a lot of people will hear the word, but they don't want to do. So you can't be hearer of an answer. We've In this conversation alone, how many answers have we given? We've given tons of answers. So we've given you the word, and now what are you going to do with it? How are you going to implement it? How are you going to embody the characteristic of a confident woman? Well, let's examine what are the characteristics of a confident woman? Well, she's what? What do you think? And there we go, Abby, Amy. It comes down to every person's individual definition. Because for me, confidence is knowing that no matter what, at the other side of the action you are about to take, you won't die. And even if you do, it'll be all right. That to me is true confidence. For someone else, confidence might be being fearless, which I believe that. I don't believe you need to be fearless to to take one confident step. For me, I really think that I feel the most confident when I'm looking inside myself for the answer instead of looking around and seeing what other people think that the answer should be. Yes. And also that's where the best results reside. It will work best for you when it is aligned with your truth and people don't understand that. And you know, one of the yeah unfortunate events of social media is that we get desensitized to words like alignment and manifest and self-love because we hear it like a broken record. We don't truly understand what it means. So when we in this conversation are speaking about alignment, it is really coming into agreement with your truth. And the problem that I see is that we're not operating in our truth. We're operating in the programming that has been imposed upon us by our caregivers, our teachers, our mentors, our coaches, our social media feed. We've adopted too much group think and not enough self-think. And when we can start to make that distinction, I think that we get better results. That even goes back to one of your first answers with asking yourself, is this true? And I wrote that down right away because is this true? Am I looking for that validation or am I looking for that verification? It just makes so much sense when you break it down like that. Yeah. We want to take a break to bring up one of our newer sponsors and a great sponsor. So Viore Clothing, crazy name, awesome apparel. This is such a fun brand. It's comfy. It is stylish. You can wear it literally from going to the gym all the way into going to momming. I've gotten so many compliments on the tank that I've been wearing. It just, it fits so great. It accentuates every part of me that I want to show off. 
And they're affordable. And you can get an even better deal by going to vioriclothing.com backslash herself and getting 15% off your first order. What's great about Viore is that any order over $75 gets free shipping. And if you're like me, I hate paying for shipping. So grab your stylish, versatile, and comfortable gear at vioriclothing.com backslash herself. Okay, Rachel, we have covered a lot. We've covered judgment. We have gone into hype women and confidence. And now we're going to go into something that I know you teach on so well. And that's the idea that we're going to offend people. As we share our messages, we're definitely going to start offending people. So can you start to explain why people will likely get offended when you fully self-express and also how we can start working to accept that? Okay, people are going to get offended when you fully express yourself because I'm going to venture to guess you haven't been living in your truth. You haven't been showing up fully self-expressed and they have gotten to know this version of you, your representative. And when you start to speak your mind, all of a sudden for them, let me take a step back. You walking in your truth threatens their perceived survival because they know that they will survive with you being who you are or who you've always been to them. As soon as you start to show up as a a fully self-expressed version of yourself, their mind is wondering like, "Uh uh-oh, she's changing. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for our relationship?" And is she going to want me to change too? Is she going to leave me? Where immediately their survival perception is in danger. So it's very important for us that when we are walking in our truth, especially if it's people that we want to keep in our lives, we remind them, we encourage them, um, we affirm to them, my truth does not make you a liar. This is just my truth. And it's okay if you don't agree with me. It's okay for you to believe what you believe. I think the danger is when we start owning our truth and our expression and we want other people to agree with our truth and our expression and we want other people to validate our truth and our expression and then they don't and that's where the real conflict comes in. But if you can accept that people may or may not agree with your truth, and that you can still coexist, then offending people is not going to really be that much of an issue for you. So for example, when I say, and I say this often, my God is the creator of the universe. So I don't use the words God and universe interchangeably. They're not the same to me. Why would I pray to the creation when I could pray to the creator? That's my truth. If you believe something different than that, that's fine. That's cool. But my truth is that God is the creator of the universe, period. I'm not going to say God or the universe or whoever you believe in. I'm not going to say that because I don't believe that. So when I teach, I teach like I heard a word from God, period. If you don't like me talking about God, well, okay, I say a lot of other things. I don't just talk about God, but if it offends you so much that you can't even set that aside and agree to disagree with me to get the blessings and the fruit of all the other harvests that I'm bringing to you, that's okay too. Maybe one day you'll change your mind and I will still be here and I will still be willing to serve and support you no matter what you believe or no matter who you serve. 
Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a really tough time because people have a really hard time disagreeing. I feel like we've lost the art of respectfully disagreeing and everyone's just so charged. It seems like like you can't just like go past something and be like, "You know what? I don't believe that, but I'm at peace that they believe that." But you can. You just said you can. You can. No, I believe that you totally can. I'm saying I think that our society has a huge issue with that. Yeah, because we because people don't feel that they have the permission to do so, right? Everybody's afraid of getting canceled. Well, let's look at cancellation historically. People get canceled for a limited time and then they do some good PR housekeeping and then they come back. Yeah, no that- one's ever been permanently canceled so what you lose a few bucks money is energy it's always in circulation there's plenty more where that came from like we're so afraid of this disconnect and that is why i think that you know we say things like well you can't say that look you can say whatever you want to say but there's just going to be a consequence and are you prepared to stand up for your truth in the face of the consequence and and by the way sometimes you don't want to And that's okay. Also, we have to stop making an either or either you stand up for your whole truth every single time or you stand for nothing. No, there there's a season for everything. Right. So like, let's just take it at a basic, a basic, basic level. My husband and I, we don't agree on a lot of things. In fact, it's a miracle. It truly is a miracle that we still are together today and that we love each other and that we want to stay together. <laughs> right? Cuz we're so fundamentally different. There are times where I won't say anything at all. I won't speak up, I won't make a case for my truth because I understand that it won't be productive. Right? But then there are other times where like the other day, for example, he was really you know, getting on our oldest daughter. And I was like, look, I understand your intention. I understand what you're trying to do. And I really need you to understand that it's the impact is completely different than your intention. I know that you care and you want the best for her. But when you use that tone, it creates a lot of stress and anxiety for her. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to set her off for a great start in this school that she didn't even want to go to in the first place, but that we put her in because you wanted this path for her. So we need to get on the same page in terms of matching intention and impact. And again, I fully support what you're trying to do. We need to find another approach. Now, Was I excited to have that conversation with my husband? No. Was I nervous that like he might get offended and lash out? Yes. But I was willing to stand in that fire because I have a kid that has anxiety and I need to make sure that I'm speaking up for her, right? We have to be the voice for the voiceless. We have to be willing. I don't, I don't want to say we have to be. But we do have to be willing at certain seasons to be the voice for the voiceless. We have to be willing to take up for a cause at some point or another. Otherwise, I really fear for the direction of our world for humanity's sake. I want to get into something that you did say in that last answer. 
because I remember watching your case study on Rachel Hollis. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I loved is that you were very clear to say, this isn't about bashing someone. Mm -hmm. It isn't about canceling her. You explicitly told people to not go to her Instagram page and leave negative comments. When she posted this problematic video, you used it to help others understand why it was problematic in the first place. So all three of us know we're all going to make mistakes along the way. Something that's hard about today's day and age is that often we're making them publicly. But if we are willing to learn as the person that made the mistake and the people that are viewing it, you know, that's when we're able to grow. So can you talk about your approach when it comes to educating people versus canceling them or bullying them or anything like that? Well, first of all, let me take full accountability and acknowledge that that wasn't my first video. That was the second video I had made in response to something that Rachel Hollis had done. And in my first video, I think that I could have done it so much better. In the first time, I was so wounded, I was so hurt that I put all empathy aside. And it took me watching myself again. But I think this is really important, by the way, is taking the time to audit yourself, audit your work, audit your, your actions, um, whether they're forward-facing for the world or whether they're private and internal in your home, just taking an, a good, honest look at yourself. And I always try to judge from the lens of if that were me, how would I want someone to come at me? And so for that first video that I did, and I took it down and I put an apology in, instead, I could have done it better. And there was a lot of wounds. Once I started really leaning into my work, and by the way, I, I'm sorry that there's a lot of side notes, but not sorry, because I think that it's the nuance that often doesn't get shared. And so we wonder, like, how did this person get there? And they tell you, like, the, you know, the, the pretty one, two, three stuff, like I journaled and I meditated and I whatever, but they don't tell you the nuance. So, so the nuance in all of this is that there was a season where I knew that my message was about giving yourself permission to offend, but I was really afraid to own the message. And because I was afraid to own the message, I wasn't deep enough into the real work required. And I just know that there's someone listening to this. And I want to give you this encouragement that if there's a call that you've been running from, I really want to encourage you to answer the call and go deep into the work, because that's when you're going to start to see that shift and that breakthrough that you were looking for. Okay. So as I did my own self audit, I started to look and think like, no, 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 no. There's got to be a better way for me to stand in my truth and hold space for someone else. And also there's got to be a way for me to stand in my truth without being someone who further creates division. Because I believe that part of my, my purpose is to create community and connection among people who have disagreements, among people who do not see eye to eye. And it's hard work. It's not easy, right? Because the first thing that you have to do is you have to be willing to be wrong about what you think is true. And then going into it, being willing to, I keep using the word grace, but I, I just don't have any other word for it. It's like coming to, a, to the table with a lot of empathy 
for yourself and for the other person. When I started doing that video for Rachel, the second one, I wanted to think about what must she be going through? What must it be like for her? If I look at everything that she's ever posted, and if I choose to believe that she is who she says she is, then how must she be feeling right now? The other thing is you have to be willing to be wrong in your truth. And you have to be willing to accept people for who they say they are, right? And tell people, right? That we have to train each other. This is what I say to people when I meet them. I believe you. I believe that when you tell me you're fine, you're really fine. So if you're not fine, do not tell me you're fine and then expect me to be a mind reader and try to figure out all the things. I will never do it. I will only believe everything that you say because I want to believe that you are who you say you are. And I want to believe that you're operating at the same level of integrity that I'm operating in. So when I tell you I'm fine, I'm good, even if there's a tone in my voice, I really do mean it. I'm fine. And by fine means we don't need to discuss it. Just let me process on my own. But you and I are good. Now, when I tell you I'm not okay and I need time, then believe me, I'm not okay. Give me time and I will come back and tell you what you did and what I thought about what you did and how my thoughts created my feelings and my emotions, right? This is like high level kind of conversations that we don't learn in school and that people don't want to take the time to engage in because it does. It's much faster to have an argument. It would have been much faster for me to be like, this Rachel Hollis chick, she fake, she this, she, like it would have been much easier. It took more time. It took more maturity. It took more growth for me to take and actually process like, well, wait a second. What was really happening here? And without me being able to have a private conversation and without me knowing her personally, what can I infer from her statements? And what do I believe? What can I hypothesize about the situation? And recognize that a hypothesis does not mean that it's true. Well, we can even use that in our close relationships. So you don't know Rachel Hollis personally, but if you think about your own relationships, I think about a lot of what you said today with just my partner, Colin, and how when I started being more direct, when I started saying exactly how I felt instead of sugarcoating it, at first he was kind of offended. Like he was pushed off. He's like, oh my gosh, like this, is, this isn't the normal Abby. This isn't how we usually have conversation. But as we started talking more and we realized that it was a good way to be direct and a good way to have that communication, it helped both of us get our needs met. Then we started realizing, okay, this can be a good thing, even if it just looks different than what we were used to for the majority of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And it changes everything. It does. It definitely does. And sometimes, I mean, change can be nerve wracking, especially for people like me who change is very difficult to do, but change can be a really good thing as well. Yeah. But remember, change is just a little alarm going off in your brain saying, oh my gosh, are we going to die? You just have to keep reminding <laughs> yourself like we're safe. It's okay. This is a safe change. And even if it's not, we'll figure it out and we'll survive. Mm, so well said. So let's end on something that is really tangible. And you've brought this up a few times now about how 
journaling is really daily self-coaching. And it's something that is really close to my heart. It's something I've practiced for years and years. So can you just share some details around the importance of journaling? Is it something that you do every day, every week? And if people have never journaled before in their life, Rachel, how could they start doing it right now? Yes. So I journal almost every day. It would be a lie to say I journal every single day, 365. No, I'm not a machine, but I do journal almost every single day. It is a very restorative practice for me. And I recommend that people have a mostly daily journaling practice. The best way to get start is just to write. So I teach a method called the faith activated method, and it's three steps, write, shift, script, write the first thing that comes to mind, you know, do your best when the judgments come up, because remember judgments happen automatically, just release them. One of the main reasons people struggle to journal is because they're judging their thoughts. They're judging their penmanship. They're judging the pen. They're judging the book. It's just like judgments galore, like relax. It's okay if your penmanship sucks. It's okay if you get the journal dirty, like who cares? Just write, write whatever comes to mind. Then the second step is to shift. And this is where you want to shift your energy, shift your emotions, shift your vibration into a higher frequency so that you can start to operate from the energy and the level of someone who has the things you already desire. And then the third step is to script. And that's where you're going to script your life as you desire it to be, as if it's already happened. So when I was healing from breast cancer, for example, I remember writing in my journal, I'm so happy and grateful now that the cancer is gone. I am completely cancer-free. In the name of Jesus, I just declare health and healing. I was so happy when my doctor called and gave me the results, no evidence of disease, all of my margins were clear. And these were things that I was journaling while there was an active tumor. And I just was believing I was walking in faith. Of course, faith without works is dead. So I was doing the things that I needed to do on my part. But there was also this understanding that I could already have what I desired. And sure enough, you know, within 24 days, I got that phone call that I was cancer free and and the margins were clear and everything looks great. And here we are two years later, you know, hands to God, glory to God, cancer-free scans looking great. I love that. That's really mm -hmm. inspiring. I've never journaled. So you two definitely inspire me to start doing that. So thank you so much, Rachel, for being here and adding such a valuable conversation to our community. I would love it if you let everyone know where they can find you. Yes. Well, for sure, subscribe to my podcast, Permission to Offend. My website is rachelluna.biz. And my favorite social media playground is Instagram. I'm at girlconfident with a T at the end. And I'm just so grateful to have this opportunity to spend some time with you ladies. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And thank you. And there was so much goodness in this. So over on Instagram, make sure to tag Herself Podcast and at Girl Confident and let us know what your favorite takeaway was from Rachel's episode. Thank you again so much. Mm -hmm.